Welcome to Divorce at Altitude, a podcast on Colorado family law. I'm Ryan Kalamea. Each week, along with my business partner and co-host, Amy Gosha, or an expert, we discuss a particular topic related to divorce or co-parenting in Colorado. In addition, we have created a short series of lessons that will take you through the legal process of divorce and answer your questions from simple to complex. Divorce isn't easy. The end of a marriage, especially when children are involved, brings a great deal of loss and change. We hope these practical tips and insights will help you on your journey to a new and better life. One issue that frequently comes up in family law cases is domestic violence. Now, I don't have enough time in this episode to address all the different kinds of domestic violence, nor the myriad of ways that domestic violence can impact the Colorado divorce. Instead, this episode is focused specifically on civil protection orders. In subsequent episodes, I'll discuss the difference between criminal protection orders and civil protection orders, as well as how domestic violence can impact parenting time. But for now, let's focus on civil protection orders. First, let's talk about the process to obtain a civil protection order. Pretty much any court in Colorado can issue a civil protection order, and that includes the divorce court. Now, complicating issues can arise when divorce is filed and outside of the divorce in a different jurisdiction, a civil protection order is issued. Nevertheless, the process by which a party can obtain a civil protection order remains the same, and it's essentially a two-step process. First, a party will ask the court in the form of a verified motion, and verified means that the party signs under penalty of perjury. Now, that verified motion is filed with the court, and it lays out why the person wants to obtain a protection order. Now, the standard by which a court reviews this verified motion, and it's usually that day, most courts will have some judge on call to review these motions because they are considered important and obviously time is of the essence. So it may be the divorce court judge is not the one that actually reviews the initial paperwork. But in any event, the judge reviews it and determines whether or not the person that is seeking protection is in imminent harm of danger. Now, the judge will issue, if they do, the order on an ex parte basis. That means that the person that is going to be restrained doesn't have an opportunity to defend themselves. And again, the issue is timing. And so the process takes into consideration that things are moving very quickly. But on the other hand, their due process requires that the restrained person have the ability to defend themselves. So the court and the process in Colorado is a balancing Now, the court is going to look at whether or not the person's imminent harm. The statute in Colorado explicitly says that the court is not supposed to hold it against the complaining party that if they waited, if they haven't called the police, and but on the other hand, the court is supposed to consider whether or not the person's in imminent harm. Now, if the court grants the temporary protection order or grants the civil protection order, it will do so on a temporary basis. And again, we're getting into the balancing act between due process and the expediency that usually accompanies these kinds of situations. So the court will issue the temporary protection order and set a hearing. And by law, it's supposed to be within 14 days. That temporary protection order needs to be served on the restrained party. And that can be either with a process server or 
someone like a sheriff who physically hands or serves the person that is going to be restrained. In the interim, a violation of the civil protection order, which is at this point on a temporary basis, would be a criminal offense. And in a divorce, it can also be the person can be held in contempt and they can go to jail and a whole bunch of other remedies. Now, the judge can also prohibit the restrained party from going to particular areas or can issue an order saying that the restrained party cannot go within 100 yards of the protected party or go to their place of employment or to a marital house. Now, if there is a civil protection order in which someone is essentially prohibited from going to the marital residence, the restrained party is still going to have an opportunity to go to the house or their place of work and obtain their clothes, their toothbrush, the necessities. And that's done by a process called a civil standby. And that means that the restrained party goes to the house along with a sheriff or a police officer to make sure that nothing, no other physical incidents or other things, any sort of conflict occurs when the person's getting their belongings. Now, the reason there are various grounds by which a person can obtain a civil protection order. In Colorado, that would include to prevent assaults or threatened bodily harm, to prevent domestic abuse, to prevent emotional abuse of the elderly or an at-risk adult, to prevent sexual assault or abuse, and to prevent stalking. Other conduct may qualify as grounds for a protection order, although the grounds I just went over are the most common. So what happens eventually when you get to a permanent protection order hearing? Well, the court is going to be looking at two primary things. One, the court is going to determine whether or not the acts or things that are complained of in the verified motion all actually occurred. And so the party that is restrained has an opportunity to exonerate themselves and to bring in evidence. Also kind of to make a side note that it's kind of the Wild West in the terms of disclosure and the rules and evidence by which the courts uh, review these kinds of hearings. There is no stated witness disclosure deadline or exhibits, and the rules of evidence apply in terms of hearsay, but generally our firm describes it as the Wild West because both people come prepared and they may or may not have attorneys and they present their case and judges because of the expediency, but also balancing the due process are sometimes a little bit looser with the rules of evidence. Again, it depends depends on your jurisdiction and the issues involved. But in any event, the judge is going to determine whether or not they believe the things that were complained of happened. Then the judge is also charged with deciding whether or not these acts are going to continue or there's going to be issues unless a permanent protection order is entered. If the judge determines that the acts are not going to continue, the judge may say, listen, this is really bad, but I don't see this continuing and therefore a permanent protection order is unnecessary. On the other hand, the judge may determine that there's no other way other than to enter a permanent protection order. Now, these permanent protection orders, they can have wide-ranging implications. They can cause problems going in and out of the airport in security. They can implicate gun rights and other a whole host of other issues. There's an appeal process. There is also a method by which a party that is permanent protection order is entered against can ask for a review and to have it loose up or withdrawn. 
Now, I mentioned violating a protection order. If a permanent or temporary protection order is violated, it can be charged as a crime in and of itself. The other issues that typically arise with civil protection orders are children. And you can have a child who is subject to a restraining order, but oftentimes judges in a divorce are going to modify that in some respect. So the balancing act between the children and parenting, as well as communication over parenting, is something that is fairly nuanced and can really be dependent on the facts of your case. Thanks for listening or watching this short lesson on the Divorce Altitude podcast. If you found this helpful, please leave a review or share with a friend. It does help for others that are going through or thinking about a divorce in Colorado. If you want to find out more information, please visit kalamea.law or divorcealtitude.com. And that's K-A-L-A-M-A-Y-A.law. Remember, this is educational information. It's not intended to be legal advice. Please consult with an attorney about the particulars of your case. We're happy to answer questions. Feel free to give us a call at 970-315-2365. Thank you.